Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show, I think everyone will admit, is very, very, very unique. And uh, hopefully it will have a very good impact uh, on you and on me myself. I, I do this uh, not just for my, not just for you, I also do it for myself as well. And I think that you're going to uh, enjoy the show. Let me tell you what we're going to be doing so that uh, you, will, you will appreciate it. Um, we're, what we're doing is we're going to be discussing first a, something Nogaya right now, something that's topical, uh, which is based upon last week's Pasha of Mitzorah, and it's about Lashon Hara. Now, don't get scared away. Um, if you don't speak Lashon Hara, you'll still learn something. And if you do speak it, even sometimes, you learn a lot. And it's not, it's all new. What I'm doing is something that you haven't heard about before. And hopefully it'll be a, have a big impact upon me and maybe on you as well. So you'll tell me afterwards if it works. And then afterwards, we're going on to discuss dairy products. Uh, we have, there's an interview with Rabbi Jervel I want to discuss. We're going to discuss the GMOs and, this, and the new problem of whether uh, pigs that are cloned would be kosher. So that's some of the topics that we're going to be taking up today. You know, we're in the we're in the uh, the spheres haomer time. We're unfortunately the Talmud and Rabbi Akiva were, were passed away, and it was lo covered zelazef. Something was lacking. I don't know what it was, but something was lacking in their communication with each other, their relationship with each other, whatever it was. I'm sure it was a smaller thing than 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 we imagine. But whatever it was, it was significant. Hashem Yisbarach decided to take away so many wonderful Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva. And, of course, we know the Chorban bias came about because of the, of, because of Sinas Chinam. So we, we definitely have a lot of work to do. But what I'm going to concentrate on is not a Musa Shmuz. I'm not going to try to tell you how to conduct your life. We're not going to be discussing Hilchas Lashon Hara, we're not going to talk about any of the details of Lashon Hara. I'm going to talk about what I think, and what I have, I have from the Sfarim. I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think are the causes of Lashon Hara, and see if you agree with me, and I'm going to give you a few suggestions, and I'm going to try to take them as well, so that hopefully this week and the rest of Sfiris HaOmer, and perhaps forever, will be able to do something significant in this regard. You know, uh, one of the questions that I had when I was listening to the, the, the laying in uh, Parshas Mitzrayah was, why does the Torah spend so much time on something that was so short-lived? It, you know, it, you see that Kaseder, it happens in the Torah, but this is very interesting, Mitzrayah, with all the details. We hear about the Mon, it's a few psukim. We say tefillas haman, so we we tie into it because we're doing uh, thinking about Hashem can provide food for us and and sustenance for us, and we daven to Him for it. So there is a tie-in, and it's only a few psukim. It's not much of an aliyah. Here you have a whole sedra dedicated to all of the minuscule details about Mitzorah. When I don't know how long it existed, Saras, but certainly it it hasn't been for many, many, many years, and. Uh, 
it's it's really a good question of why this isn't so this is something that the Torah spends so much time discussing. And I think, as I always do, that the Kasha is the Tevitz. The question is the answer. In other words, why is Sarah so important? Uh, if it, if it, the answer is because it is important for us today too. What's the, what's the importance? How does it tie into us? Because what happened was people spoke Lush and Hara. It was a breakdown of society, as I want to show, to show you a little bit. And uh, they people were contributing to that breakdown of society. And th- that's why that person had to be sent out. And in a sense, we have to realize that if Chas Sholem, we're also in the same boat, even if we don't get Saras, that's how Hashem views it. And we also need to, to work on ourselves and to do tshuva as the, the Mitzorah had to do tshuva. So it's a, it really is talking to us, even if we don't see anybody with Saras today. Everything, the whole business, if you tie it in, I'm not going to tie all loose ends today, but if you spend the time thinking about it, you'll see how much it really connects to us on a day-to-day basis. Now, when I was thinking about the causes of Lush and Hara, the first thing that came to my mind, because I'm learning a little bit Shar uh, Bitochon in the Chodvas Halavavas, is something, a passage that was over there, and then I hit on the famous Ibn Ezra, which I personally liked very much in learning that Ibn Ezra, I think everybody knows it already by this time. We're just going to just mention it. The Ibn Ezra asked the question of low sach mode. We're not allowed to covet, to desire what belongs to somebody else. So we understand, I could tell you, uh, because coveting is going to come to uh, stealing and maybe killing, other things are going to come about it because of it. But why should God answer desiring what somebody else has? That's something I can't control. It's a feeling. I can stop my actions. I won't do anything. But And I won't concentrate on it. But you're telling me not to even have a knee-jerk reaction to want? It looks very beautiful. Why should I not have a knee-jerk reaction to want what somebody else has? And yeah, that specific thing, that specific car with all the gizmos he's got and his way he put it together, he did a great job on it, and I, I don't think I could ever match it. So I want that car. Well, but but that's a, that happened. It, it, it's it's a it's a second. It happens in a second. How could I possibly prevent myself from it? So the Ibn Ezra is a simple answer. He talks about an, a, a mushal of a ben kfar of country bumpkin who sees a bas melech and she's attractively dressed. She has an entourage. She's coming in a fancy chariot or whatever it is. And 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 obviously this is somebody that would be we'd call desirable, wonderful. He's a country bumpkin. He he sleeps under the stars. He eats very rough kind of foods. He doesn't have any interest in the lifestyle that she's living. And she is certainly not going to be interested in him because that's not her life. So he has absolutely no desire for her. And he says that Hashem will give me my beshert, and I don't have to be, I'm not, I'm not interested in somebody who doesn't fit in my lifestyle. So that's what's that's the reality. What so what's the Ibn Ezra telling us? The Ibn Ezra is telling us that if you're honed in in your mind that Hashem is going to provide you with what you need, then you're not going to have to desire anything else because you have what you need. It maybe Hashem didn't give you your bashir today. Maybe you have to wait. But 
it's your good pshat he's going to give you. He's not going to give you somebody who's out there already. So obviously, there's no desire. You shouldn't have a desire for something that doesn't fit because it's not going to work. And Hashem decides what's the best for you. So if a person has that bitachon in a kaddish baruch then he doesn't come on to desiring what another person has. And that's the famous Ibn Ezra on not coveting a low sachmod. And that brings me to what I was, what started me thinking, basically, was this chobos halvavos. And I want to read it to you. It's in the very beginning. Shah bitachon, psicha. Umehem shaboteach bahem yivienu aftachaso alav shaloya avoid zulaso. If a person has bitachon, if he has reliance on a Kaddish Baruch Hu, if he trusts Hashem that he will provide him what he needs, then he doesn't have to come on to anybody. He, he will not serve somebody other than Hashem. He won't think about and wait and hope and pray for somebody to help him out. He's not going to search out and, and seek in any way for another person to help him. He doesn't have to butter them up and say and try to get them to like him. He doesn't have to do any, again, this buttering up, and he doesn't have to do any chanifa, doesn't have to put on any shows, any airs, to try to interest the other person to be helpful to him. And he won't decide to do anything else with them other than serve Hashem. And he's not going to be scared about what they're doing. I mean, he's not going to be afraid that they're going to argue with him and create problems for him. He's not going to care about another person hurting him. If a person has that level of bitachon in Hashem, he's not going to talk Lashon Hara. Because what, what do people talk about Lashon Hara? Why do they talk in Lashon Hara? Well, you know, I talk about Lashon Hara because, you know, it's Gishmak. No, they're talking Lashon Hara because that other person over there has some connection to me. He's competing with me, and I want to show that I'm better than him, that he's he's not a good person, he's not that great. I, or, or he's he, he, he hurt me, or he anything. Whatever it is, it means that you don't really have 150% bitachon with HaKadosh Baruch Because if you had 150% bitachon with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then you would not worry about what another person thinks or does at all. Because he cannot hurt you. He cannot steal from you. He is not a, your problem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only person in your life, only being in your life, and he decides what you're going to get and what you're not going to get and what you're going to lose. It's all from him. Even though we think, oh, but he, the other guy did it. Yeah, the other guy did it. He did something. He tried to do something, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu let him. And that's the way you have to think. And if you think that way, then that's bitachon in Hashem and and not relying or worried about another human being. And if you're on that level, then you are not drawn to Lashon Hara because the other person is not going to change your life. And you don't have to decide whether he's better than you and worse than you or where you can get the, the thing away from him or he can get it from you. All of that's tied into this, 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 these coveting and desires. I'll just read a few more of the things he said. I'm not going to read all the words in Hebrew, though. He says, um, you, you're not going to try to put on any shows for him. 
and uh, to try to get him to 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 appease you, to feel good about you. Um, you don't feel that you have to pay him back and you got to pay you back and all that stuff. And if you, you don't have to worry about the, the honor he gives you and you're not going to be embarrassed if he says something against you and, it, and you're not going to be drawn into lying, and etc., 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 because you have put your faith in Hashem. If you could do that, if you could be a Baal Bitachon, if you could really rely on Hashem and say, He is going to provide what you need, then you are not phased by another human being, how much he earns, how much power he has, what he said to you, what he could say to you, what he could do to you, what he did to you. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't matter, if Hashem Yisbarach is the one running your life and not this guy next door or down the block or whatever, and not your boss, not this person who's, who's created problems for you, then you don't have to worry. Now, one of the reasons, one of the, peop, the groups of people that we, we're drawn to speak uh, negatively about sometimes are the mishpacha. So some parts of the mishpacha, maybe you don't think so high, highly of them, but even could be some, in other words, even your own children, sometimes you, you're upset by something that they do. And if you can fix it, so fix it. If you need to talk to your husband, your wife, to fix something, fine. Then that's Latoelis. But if you are going to just talk about it and talk about it again and again and talk negatively, even about your relatives, whether they're your children or your parents or your in-laws or whatever it is, there's no purpose at all. It emanates from this lack of bitachon. Why do you so? Why does it bother you so much if your child or your parent does such a certain thing? Because that that, that affects you. But if Hakadosh Baruch is running your life, not that person, it you are yourself, and Hakadosh Baruch is, is is directing your life, then you do not have to feel any problem with what another person does. That's his problem, his issue with Hakadosh Baruch. God forbid somebody's doing something dangerous then that's a toelis you talk about it, try to figure out how to get the point across. I understand. That's something very important. But if it's not a toelis, if there's no gain from it, if there's not directed towards trying to improve the person, then it's purely lush and horror, and it emanates, from my humble estimation, it emanates from this problem of feeling that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not only being that is affecting your life, that that person over there has some effect on your life directly, and that somehow, if you put them down a little bit, or maybe you build yourself up, and you say lush and horror about somebody, then you feel a little higher. That's because you don't realize that you don't need to deal with that other human being. Because a Kaddish Baruch Hu directly can deal with you, and you don't need to feel better than him. You don't need to feel anything negative about him in order to feel that HaKadosh Baruch Hu can help you. I think that's really one of the major causes of Lashon Hara. I want to mention also that the the uh, beautiful Rashi, which uh, talks about how the Mitzorah is sent out of the camps, and he's, a unique phrase is used, Badad Yeshev. He has to dwell alone, out of the machna, out of the camp of the Jewish people, alone. And there's a machloikas, what Pshat and Rashi is. Some people hold that Rashi means 
that he shouldn't be sitting with other people who are also Tomei, but even more Tomei than he is, Tomei Mace. Others say that Rashi says that two Mitzoroyim can't be together. Don't tell me the don't tell me what it says in the Navi about the, the Matsuram. They met each other. Okay, I don't know whatever that is. But does they are learning Pshat and Rashi that the that the uh, the Mitsuroyim, some of them are learning Pshat and Rashi, that the Mitsuroyim cannot dwell together even when they're outside the Machna. And Rashi says the reasons why. It's a Chazal. It's a Gemara in Erechin, Daf Yud Zion, I'm sorry, Tes Zion, Amid Beis. Va Amru Rabosenu. Chazal say in the Gemara in Erechin, Manishtana, why is sorry for the Manishtana? Why is there why is it different by the Mitzorah, Mishad Tameim from the other people who are Tame? That he should be he should have to live alone in isolation. He separated between man and wife by speaking Lashon Hara. So he shall also be set apart. Mida keneged mida. According to the sin is the punishment. It fits the crime. He was trying to interrupt and make fight between husband and wife, whether he intentionally did it or didn't intentionally do it, but that's what he did effectively. So to who, so too he should be set apart. And this teaches me a very interesting thing, that what is the real way to avoid Lashon Hara? Well, we mentioned one way is to have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But there's another way, and that is to work for Shalom, to look at this world as we are here, not, uh, we are here to make Shalom in the world. The opposite, the way Av, the way Aaron was, Oev Shalom, Rodev Shalom, or Havis Abrios Makarvan Latoira. He was he was out there trying to make peace. To the extent that he lied, and he said, Oh, so and so wants to make up with you. And he told the other person, Oh, you're fr- that a guy that you had to fight with, he wants to make up with you. And they'd meet and they'd they'd make up. What did he try to do? He was go- his goal was to make peace. Now, if Chasvashom they met and they, it came out that Aaron lied. They all would hate Aaron, and they wouldn't like each other either, and it wouldn't go anywhere. But Aaron was a, was a, was shrewd, and he figured out how to do it, and he put himself on the line. And his goal was make peace. I'm here in this world, make peace. If we concentrated on make peace, there wouldn't be any lashon hara. Because we really aren't concentrating on making peace. I don't want to say the other side, but we're not concentrating on making peace. If we were wanting to do that, then we'd want to find the good in the people. Which leads me to a story, but I'm going to have to wait one half a second until I get there. I really have a few other points to talk about. I think uh, maybe I'll, I'll zoom into it in a minute. I heard from Rabbi Avigda Miller last night on a, a video that we show. Uh, we have show every, every Mozart Shabbos a video of Vigda Miller, the 30, Thursday night lectures, half every week, 45 minutes. If anybody wants to come, just call me at 718-336-8544, and I'll give you the details, 718-336-8544. But that's only for men, and it's only Mozart Shabbos. It's two hours and 15 minutes after Lichbenchen. Last night was 935 now, uh, let me just tell you what he said, because if you never heard this before, 
This is powerful. Everybody knows what it says in the beginning of Pirkei Avos. Call Yisrael yesh lahem chelik lo'elam habo. Every Jew has a, a portion in the world to come. He has a hachelik, he has a portion in the world to come. But Miller said, that's not the pshat. He said, call Yisrael yesh lahem chelik lo'elam habo. All of Israel has a portion in the world to come. It doesn't say that each individual, it says, call Yisrael. And he interpreted it, I'm sure he heard it somewhere else, but it's a beautiful pshat. He said, not you. You alone may not have a portion in the world to come. Klal Yisrael has a portion in the world to come. You want to be part of Klal Yisrael? You see that group over there? There, he, he mentioned Temanim, Syrians, uh, Lakewood, uh, this group of Hasidim, that group of Hasidim, these people who live in Lakewood, people who live in Borough Park. He mentioned a lot of different groups. All of them are Kla Yisrael. Wrap your head around it. If you can think of all the people, all the different types, the ones you never get along with, the ones I don't understand what they're talking about. I don't understand why they, I don't understand they live. This doesn't, make, this doesn't make sense. All those people, if you can see them as part of the Klal Yisrael that's going to get Olam Haba, then you've you got a portion. But uh, if you're going to start making segmentation, and to you it's not Klal Yisrael, you might have a surprise. That was his point. I think it's a very powerful point a very powerful lesson, that we have no right to make groups. We have no right to think of ourselves as holier than other groups. Talk about legitimate groups in Klai Israel. I'm not talking about people that are trying to destroy Klai Israel. We're not talking about those groups. They're, they're not, that, that, that's not, <laughs> they are, you know, people who are, in, who are really off, they are really off. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who are shoymer, Torah, and mitzvahs, but they don't look or talk the way we do. They don't think the way we do. They don't live where we do. And maybe some of the things they do we don't like. That's what we have to work on. Call Yisrael If you can get that in your head, that everybody out there is part of Klal Yisrael, who is shoymer, Torah, and mitzvahs, and you want to, you want to see yourself as part of them. You want to pray for Klai Yisrael. When you say Rafa'inu, you're not saying Rafa'ini, you say Rafa'inu. Well, who is the Rafa'inu? Who are you asking for that should be well and healthy? Uh, people that are living four blocks away from you, then the four blocks around you, the ones who daven in your shul, who, who are you praying for? If you're praying for Klai Yisrael, then you're doing the right thing. Then you're tuned in to Olam Haba. But then you wouldn't speak Loshon Horror about any of those groups. But anybody, because they, they belong to one of those groups that you call Yisrael Yeshua So therefore, Shalom is a very powerful thing to work for to prevent from Lashon Hara. So we have Bitochon, we have Shalom, and, and Avas Yisrael. These are the things that we have to be working on there's another aspect or two, but I'm gonna. I think it's getting a little late, and I don't want. I want to get to some of the other topics. So let me just end off with a story that I, I I've told here before. I believe maybe I haven't told it. 
but it's a personal story, but I think it's, it's well worth using. Many, many years ago, I, I would, first of all, before I say the story, let me tell you this. It's extremely important for people to let go. There are people that hurt you many years ago or in different ways, or maybe even recently, but you have to let go. If you can't let go that hurt, if you're going to harbor that, that pain, and if you're going to continually think negatively about that person, then you're not doing this thing we're talking about. If that person who hurt you is part of that call Yisrael that is a Shomer Torah mitzvah, but isn't like you or hurt you some way once, or maybe more than once, let go. If you want to get to Olam Habo, you're going to have to let go because you have to want to be there in the same bus. That's the, that's the lesson that Rav Miller said. And I think it's a very, very important thing, the concept of letting go. I want to tell you one story. I don't know if I said this here at all. When I was very young, I was in yeshiva, and we had 10 people in the yeshiva. 10. And including the Rosh Yeshiva. 10 Talmidim, including the Rosh Yeshiva. And, you know, in yeshiva, you learn first Seder, second Seder, third Seder, and you have a Chavrusa for, 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 uh, for uh, Mishnah Brura and a Chavrusa for Musar. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. Out of 10 people, Nine people, actually. How many chavrusas could you, you make? And then there's one zman, another zman, another zman. You know, t- time goes on. I mean, you used everybody up in yeshiva. So I reached a point. I said, you know, I've tried everybody in yeshiva. I've learned with everybody. And I don't have anybody I want to go back to for the next zman. So I got to leave. And then I said to myself, I don't want to leave. <laughs> I like the yeshiva. I'm doing well here. It was the best yeshiva I probably ever went to, and uh, except for my own. But it, it was a, a tremendous yeshiva. But but I didn't. I ran out of chavrusas. So and I found I know I knew everything wrong with everybody. I, I'm bucky in that, by the way. I can always find the things wrong with people. So so uh, I said, what I do? And I said, you know, there's only one way out. I opened up a notebook and a little pad, and I took ten, ten people. There's not not too many pages, right? So I took. I gave everybody a page. I wrote every name down, and then I said, "Think about good qualities about this person." And you know, I knew the negative, but I started concentrating only on the positive. I write one thing down for this person, one thing down for that person. And I sat there. I don't know how long it took. I don't know if it was a couple of days, a couple. It was one sitting. I don't remember anymore. It's too many years ago. But I had a little pile on everybody's name. Only good. I didn't leave the yeshiva. I was able to find everybody again. The fine chavrusos and, and everything worked out fine, Baruch Hashem. But I don't know how I came into my head, but I realized the only way is to start looking at people for the good in them. Try to, you're not going to, whatever they did wrong, whatever upsets you, whatever's called in your Lush and Hara, is it was partly because of lack of bitachon in our Kaddish Baruch exclusively, partly because you're not working on Shalom, or you don't have 
the the Avos Yisrael of the Kol Yisrael Yesh Lohem Chaylom Abo. So those things are are lacking, but it's also that you don't see them as good, 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 good people. If you would work on finding three things about these people that you just want to say Lush and Hur about. So instead of saying Lush and Hur, sit down and write three things about the person you were going to say Lush and Hur about, or you did say Lush and Hur about yesterday or today. If you would sit down and write three things about them, positive things, and look at them, you would find that that person is mole mitzvos karimon. They're filled up with mitzvahs and value like a pomegranate has seeds. Unbelievable what's in a human being and how much good they try to do. I remember one person in particular, I'm not going to give you any details about these people because they were, they were all very interesting, by the way. Everyone was unique in that yeshiva. There weren't two people that were in any way similar. Very, very unique people. Well, one person I remember clearly wasn't from the brightest that I've met in this world. He was a very nice person. I know him till today. But he, 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 he wasn't, I would call, super bright. Nothing, I didn't say he wasn't capable, but he was not really super bright. And uh, I remember thinking, what am I going to write down here? And I said, you know, he tries very hard. And it was true. And I watched him through life. He tried very hard. And he, he did very well with what he has. And another person who I was also very, very, uh, let's say not the brightest, he became Rosh Hashiva. He worked at it. He worked at it and worked at it and became an outstanding individual. Until this day, I, I, I look up to him. He's a wonderful person. And he's achieved tremendous because he sat there and worked and says, I'm going to get out of this and be success. And he was. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot to do in this area. So I'm going to believe Nether try starting today to work on this again for myself. That maybe it'll help me with any thoughts of saying a Lushan Hara. And uh, you know, I have to deal with Lushan all the time because people ask questions. It's so tempting to tell them stories about people that I know in the cautious world and the negative, and I, I have to avoid it completely because it's pure Lushan Hara. They don't need to know that. They just need to know if they can eat it or not. And we, we all have to fight the Yetzirah with the Lushan Hara. So I hope today I gave you a few tools to use in, in seeing the reasons for the Lushan Hara and maybe... Together with me, maybe we'll be able to make a little strides in uh, in bringing back some of that Abbas Yisrael and, uh, and uh, you know um, Abbas Chinam, and perhaps we'll be able to accomplish in Sfiras Haomer what the intent was to concentrate on this issue of Abbas Yisrael. And I said also tonight, Bitochon in Hakadosh Baruch I have another one, but I'm not going to. The hour's late, so I'm not going to throw that in there. But it's another uh, seba that I have for Lashon Hara. Now I want to discuss something that's very interesting. I I don't know. I just I mean, when I when I come in before I come in here, I have to look at a few things. And so I opened up behind the union label. If you've never heard about this thing, you got to get it. <laughs> it doesn't cost anything. It's from the OU. And it's unbelievably good. And it's down-to-earth, simple things, beautifully done. It's one of their publications called Behind the Union Label. The union is that they're the union of Orthodox Jewish congregations, so they call themselves 
behind the union label. It's a cute thing based on something. I'm not going to go into it now. You can figure out what it is. Anyway, they talk about the OU dairy standards. And there's nine points that they make. Most of this you might know. Some of it you don't. And some of the people don't know some of them. So I'm going to go through all nine. It just takes a second each. Uh, again, this is OU position, which means that it's not going to be talking about Chal Yisrael, because we're talking about dairy. It's not going to be talking about Chal Yisrael, but it's going to explain the OU position. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it, because they, they, they did give you a lot of understanding about the milk issues. So everybody would like to know about uh, something like non-fat dry milk. Why does it need hashkacha? It's just milk. According to the OU, milk is milk, and they don't have to worry about any. They're not worried about in America, based on Ramosha's chuvas, they're not worried about uh, a problem of chal of tameh. Others hold you have to have chal of Israel even today, even in America, and that's not, I'm not going to get to that topic now. I'm just taking the OU position. So why does non-fat dry milk need to be at Hashkocha? So the answer is, spray dryers. Now, you don't know anything about spray dryers, and I know very little about it, but they're huge uh, uh, pieces of equipment, and the spray means the thing becomes a, a, like pellets, and it becomes, goes in the air, becomes like a, uh, comes a little of, of powder. And so with, you're turning the milk into powder through the spray dryer, and it flies up in the air and comes down, and you know, and it, it, uh, it's a big piece of equipment, very hard to kasher. So that's the big problem, and uh, and they can be doing non-kosher because these kinds of equipment are used not just for milk. They're used for other things as well. So that's the main problem for the non-fat dry milk. Why isn't ice cream acceptable from any source? All right, everything most of us know a little bit about it, but listen to what they said. Sweet cream, the, cr- the creamy part, the real sweet cream, that f- that's a fatty component of milk, is basically all kosher as long as it's not processed on non-kosher equipment. But the plants that make the ice cream manufacture whey cream. So the, the cream that goes into ice cream could be in a place where they make whey cream. Whey is a byproduct of the cheese-making process. Cheese that's not done according to, uh, to the laws of, of kashras is called givinas akum. And Gvinas Akum is forbidden to eat. It's not a chumrah. It's not a, it's something that uh, very frum people do. Gvinas Akum, cheese made by non-Jews without being done according to the halachos of, of, of cheese-making process, are considered, is considered to be tr- not kosher, even though there's nothing wrong in it. Even if you know there's nothing wrong in it. Even if you, you, you're sure there's nothing wrong in there. It has to be done with the Jew putting in the coagulation, the, the putting in the enzyme. Otherwise, it's not called Venus Yisrael. It's called Venus Akum. It's called non-Jewish cheese. And the, the way that comes as a byproduct, when the cheese breaks away and the way breaks away from the cheese, in the cheese, and they sell that, and they, they work on it, and they make, they make uh, whey cream. So that is a halachically treif for so that's that's the big big problem that goes on in making the uh, aside from other things that they could add into ice cream and they even add gelatin etc. But that was an interesting point. 
Now, why isn't cheese kosher? So we mentioned that basically you know, he says it's not a question of just rent it, but it has to be done according to the process with on-site rabbinic supervision, it says. Uh, but it's not just the supervision. They actually have to be involved in the, in the cheese-making process. It's, it's, an on, it's, an, it's something that the mashkiach must be involved in. Now, this is an old question. This is a question maybe about 20 years old. You might have heard of it. Maybe you didn't hear of it. Years ago, there were certain givens. It was given that butter was kosher. Uh, the regular, and then they decided, well, they can adulterate a little bit, but AA butter, that's the high-grade, high-grade AA butter was always considered to be kosher. And about 20 years ago, it was pointed out that the people who are, who are careful about Chal Yisrael should be careful and not use AA butter, even though Al it was mutter to use butter because the way they make it to now is to add things because butter has no taste. And so we, to make a taste, if you have salt, then salt makes a taste. But if you don't, then the butter without salt, the only thing that gives it a taste is a creamy substance that you add in. So even though the butter is not, was not, it could not be not kosher, but the add-ins, the things that you put on to give the flavor, they could be not kosher. Or they could be, so therefore, people who are makben and Israel could not eat AA butter. Now it's saying something even stronger. Why isn't AA grade butter acceptable without cost certification? Not because of the Chal Yisrael thing. Although AA-grade butter should be made purely from sweet cream, which is kosher, research has shown that so long as there are no discernible, I can't pronounce this, organoleptic ramifications. Okay, somebody will tell me what it means. Organoleptic ramifications, small amounts of whey cream can be tolerated in AA butter production. I did not know this until I read the article. Since whey cream is highly kosher-sensitive ingredient, AA butter needs kosher certification. So we gave out about 20 years ago or 15 years ago or something that people in Israel cannot eat plain AA butter. The OU is giving out now, and I did not know this until I read the article, that nobody can eat AA butter, even if you're not Machpenachal Israel without a hashkacha, because they're using or they can use whey cream which we consider to be Venus Akram. Now, uh, um, milk is one dairy ingredient that the OU considers to be acceptable from any industrial source. But it's not across the world, only in certain countries. Because some countries do allow other milks to be used. So that's the concern they have. Um, Rabbi, who wrote this, Rabbi Gordimer, wonderful gentleman who has written some wonderful things I, I love very much. So he says over here that he was told that Greek yogurt is always kosher. Is this correct? No, he didn't say that. He's, he's, a, he's asking the question. The other, another person said it as a question. Is, it, is, it, is Greek yogurt always kosher? So he answers no. All yogurt, even unflavored and without stabilizers, contains cultures. Cultures are extremely kosher-sensitive, and that's why all yogurt needs proper kosher certification. So you can't use it stamazoid. But many people I know used to buy these things with the kefir and this and that. 
and they just it's just milk and whatever. But the cultures, that's the killer. Okay. Um, he asked about skim milk versus condensed skim milk. So skim milk, according to the OU, is not a problem. But the uh, when you take the condensed skim milk, you need a good hashgacha. Why? They have evaporators that are used that, that, that may contain may at times be used for non kosher materials. Then they ask about he asks about cream cheese. Is cream cheese okay from everywhere? So he goes in to discuss stabilizers and uh, stuff like that. And rennet, the different things that are put into these cheeses. Then he asks, why do kosher cheeses and cheese powders, from the OU anyway, usually bear an additional OU certification feature, such as a a signature sticker of the supervising rabbi? Aside from the regular OUD symbol, they put a a sticker with the, the signature of the rabbi. But that's because these are special productions. They're in big plants, and every cheese that comes out OU in these big plants is being done under special production. And the only way to guarantee that it really is OU, and they didn't just move the labels around, you know, is, is this particular thing of having an additional uh, protection from a signature of a rabbi. So that's a little bit an idea of some of the things that uh, Rabbi Gordimer has in that wonderful article and behind the union label symbol from the OU. And now I want to read from this, which I love. I mean, Rabbi Avram Jurvel for the OU is one of my uh, mentors, somebody who helped me out so many times and so long ago. It got me started in the right direction with the magazine. When I first started Kashrus Magazine, we used to call it Kashrus Newsletter. And Rabbi Jurafel says, I'm coming over to you. I got to talk to you. I said, what is it? I never knew who he was. So he comes over to talk to me, and he says, you don't know anything about this whole business. I'm going to show you. And so he schlepped me down, and I was at the yeshiva then. So we schlepped down with the boys from the yeshiva. We went to Manhattan to, uh, to, to, to two hotels, the Hilton and the Sheraton, they're right near each other, block away. And he took us in there. He was, but show us what a kitchen looks like in the in these hotels and all the shilas that came up and what you have to do. It was some experience, it was unbelievable. And he kept up with me all the years, uh, trying to straighten me out and to keep me doing the right thing. So Baruch Hashem, I appreciate everything he did. Now he's, I'm 38 years doing this. And he's been doing it 39 years because he only started, it seems, a year before me. And at that time, he was uh, working for KAJ, for Broyers. And he's been through all states, 50 states of the Union. And uh, he, and also, about, he said, about 40 different countries he's been to. He's what they call a senior rabbi from the OU, one of the people that they send out when they have to do with the high-level stuff. So here's a little bit from an interview that they have in, uh, in, in, this, in this booklet from the OU behind the union label. They asked him a question. What, what things do you think we as Americans and citizens of the, of the globe have in common that someone without your extensive travel history might not realize? In other words, what does the world have similar that we don't mind to think about because you travel all over? So basically, he said, it's always a privilege to meet a master, master craftsman. 
and a warm smile is certainly understood in every language and culture. That's beautiful. Then they asked him about what was the, the hardest thing he had to do, the most interesting assignment, and he talked about a certain oil refinery, which was huge, and they had, had trafe and kosher at the same time, and he had to set it up and prove it. It was a big one. Then they asked him a little bit about, um, does he ever have to say no? And here's what he said. While OU kosher communicates the best methods to maintain the highest standards of kosher, there have been times where a plant had dual systems for kosher and non-kosher, and OU kosher was not satisfied with the divisions proposed by the plant. It was incomplete from our perspective, which means we couldn't do it. I, ca- I handled the situation by stating a firm and resolute cannot be done. That's it. He, wasn't never, he was never afraid of it. Now, they asked him a question. I think this is a classic. Did you ever find a situation where you felt you were in danger? either in the plant or during your travels because you're a rabbi? Rabbi Juravel answers, In all my years and in all the odd situations I found myself in for OU Kosher, I cannot remember a time I felt in danger. Once I was lost in China on a train for about 14 hours without a phone. (laughs) I was scared then. But nothing to do being a rabbi. It had to do with being in in, uh, in Kamudukano. In other words, he couldn't communicate with anybody. He was absolutely lost, and I'm sure that his his Chinese is <laughs> is as good as my Japanese. Although I'm sure he has some words that he says them, but I don't think he felt <laughs> he didn't feel at home over there. Uh, now, they asked him about uh, what, how is how has kosher supervision changed since he started his career. Now, I'm going to read the words. I don't know all this stuff that well, and I want to look into it. It's very interesting, but I don't understand it that much, so I'll help you with it as far as I can go. He said, the introduction of formal quality systems, ISO systems, and of various third-party audits, many of which are looking for the same things as kosher audit, have really helped smooth the way for kosher programs. In other words, sophistications in the industry that we've sort of logged on to. And one is very, very interesting, really interesting now. Allergen cleaning has been a major help for us as well. Now, due to the allergen concerns, the QA staff, the quality control, whatever it is, is aware in advance of our arrival of exactly which items and lines would have contact with dairy. Because the world is now worried about uh, allergies and the companies can be sued till the till they disintegrate. So these companies now are so careful about dairy that we don't have to worry as much as we used to about hospital maybe there's dairy here because the chances are very very slight because the allergens. I don't like that a hundred percent because I read all the time about undeclared allergens, dairy, mil- undeclared milk. But so far, I have not seen one example. I mean, maybe there were, and I didn't catch it. But I haven't seen examples of products that had undeclared milk that were not listed as OUD or OKD or something like that. I think all the cases that we're getting about the undeclared milk 
the hashkacha already knew that it, that it there was some kind of dairy in the plant, and that they thought it was it was it was relegated to certain areas, and the company and the hashkacha already put on OUD or OKD or something else D. So that I don't haven't seen where we they've goofed in that area or they've misled. Now Rabbi Juravel is also got the title. It's very unofficial, by the way. It's not official. Yet. He's called Chief Rabbi of Idaho Falls because Idaho is where they make the potatoes, and he goes every day, every year he goes to Idaho for Pesach Productions of dehydrated potato products, and he's been going there since most of his, most of his 39 years. It's a friendly part of the world, Rabbi Idravel said, and people notice when a rabbi is walking around town. People would say, hello, and they ask if I'm Amish, and tell me about other Jewish people in town. I was sometimes asked to give classes on Jewish topics to the locals. This led to the mayor of uh, of Idaho Falls appointing me as chief rabbi. Frankly, it wasn't hard to pick me. I was there more than any other rabbi. And he has a jacket that says chief rabbi of Idaho Falls. It's a cute jacket. Uh, now, they asked him, and I think this is a great line here, what advice would you offer to an up-and-coming RFR, that's, you know, a person who goes out in the field to check for the, who wishes to have as distinguished career as yours. In other words, what would you say to the next people to work in the OU doing what you're doing? Rabbi Jervell, we all possess the most valuable piece of equipment, a brain. It has the indispensable ability to produce something called common sense. You would not believe how many uh, catastrophes would have been avoided by simply using it? And yet so many neglect this priceless human asset in search for more modern equipment. I say begin with the most useful tool that you've been blessed with, and you'll go very far. I think that's beautiful. I don't know if you appreciate it as much as I do because I'm no gab, but he's a good friend of mine. But I, 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 there's no way in the world that in nine minutes I'm going to be able to do the entire topic of genetics. I'm going to read one piece, and I have to save for next week about the pigs. I want to tell you about the pigs, though. Some rabbi in Israel, I believe is part of Tzohar, he made a statement that there's no problem in cloning pigs and uh, be kosher. So that was he, he made that statement, and the entire world picked it up because everybody knew everybody every non-jew knew that the one thing that jews don't eat is pig they never thought about camel they never thought about uh, rabbits they never thought about anything else but the one thing that they know that we don't eat is pig it's just everybody knows it meat and milk okay somebody knows they know a little bit about it but but the the one thing they know is a Jew avoids pig. And there are people who eat all kinds of things that are forbidden, but they wouldn't eat ham. They wouldn't eat from a pig. And now a rabbi in Israel is saying that you can clone a pig and you could say it's kosher. Wow, that's news. Man bites dog. We got him. And they went everywhere. It went ballistic. You can you not find a publication that didn't talk about this rabbi. I'm talking about everybody. I'm sure the Wall Street Journal and the and the Times had it. I saw so many articles. 
everybody picked it up. You could get a press release and you couldn't get it printed anywhere. This went viral. Absolutely. And that's what I really want to discuss probably next week if I have a chance, unless something interesting happens that we're working on. But uh, this I want to read now in, in the seven minutes remaining. And it's a very nice little piece, also from behind the union symbol. And what I liked it is it's it's from Abelsky. It's not really a direct quotes, but it's talking about his psukim. And I want you to know, since he passed away, the OU puts out daily a halacha, and originally it was all from his psukim. Now it's not from his psukim anymore, but they put it out daily, and it's in memory of Rabbi Yisrael Belsky, who made a profound impression on the OU. He didn't control the OU. He didn't run the OU. He was an advisor in halacha, and there were other advisors in halacha, including Rabbi Shachter. And I think you know, maybe maybe you don't know that Rabbi Shachter came out this past week in the Jewish press. I would discuss that one, but I don't have enough information. He he, he said that swordfish is kosher. Rabbi Shachter from the OU, and uh, OU and for YU, he came out that swordfish is kosher, and it's a very interesting topic. I hope to go into it someday. I just don't have enough information right now. Anybody wants to check it out in the Jewish press? It's still out there. It's a uh, uh, you know, it's a it's a few. It's just two paragraphs. Not that much information there, but it's a very uh, interesting, you know, new new idea, which we something we were brought up on when I was a kid. We knew we didn't eat swordfish. It wasn't kosher, and the, and the conservatives ate it. We, it was like one of the things that we were brought up on, you know. And now, now he's questioning that. I don't think anybody's going to run out and buy it. It probably costs fifty or hundred dollars a plate because it's a game fish. But it's a principle of the thing, and you can take a look at it and see what you think. Anyway, but this is another. This is an article about Rabbi Belsky, and he, they asked Rabbi Belsky three questions. Number one, does kosher law permit? the manipulation of DNA, even if no foreign DNA is introduced. Manipulation of the DNA of the, of the animal or the product itself. Rabbi Belsky explained, it's not considered a virtue to tamper with nature, but it's not prohibited. Genetically modified foods are to be considered kosher. It should be noted that this is not an endorsement of health benefits. Because they may be, <laughs> may not be healthy at all. I I tend to think that this gonna, we're going to discover scary things from people eating this stuff. But unfortunately, many of us are already eating genetically modified. Question number two: Does kosher law permit splicing together genetic materials from different kosher organisms? Can I mix, like, say, for example, a tomato with a blueberry or whatever it is? Can I take a little bit of this and with DNA and put it into there and I'll have a tomato that has some of the qualities of blueberries or blueberries that are quality of tomato? Can I do that kind of stuff? So there it's a little bit more complex. Belsky said it's a, there's a prohibition from the Torah to graft a branch from one species of fruit tree to another. However, if you did it, the fruit may be eaten and you can benefit from the offspring. Similarly, you can't breed animals from different kinds of animals, different species cannot be bred together. That's kloyim. Uh, for example, in the case where a sheep and a goat, uh, both of which are kosher, had been used to create a hybrid, there's no prohibition to consume the offspring. And all of us are eating new things, tangerines when never existed, tangelos. These things are all you know, new creations. 
Rabelsky gave several reasons why splicing DNA together from different species is more lenient than, uh, and, and, and might not be included in the biblical prohibition at all. But he concluded that even if it would, the food that came out from it would be kosher. Then the third one is the big topic. Splicing DNA from a non-kosher source into a kosher food. And in, when Rabbi Belsky was alive, the, the discussion was about uh, a salmon getting a DNA mixed with DNA from an eel. An eel is not kosher. Salmon is. This question is the most complex of the three. And you have to, and you have, to have a case-by-case case evaluation. Rabbi Belsky was asked about a salmon that was engineered with genes from an eel. Make it, it makes it go faster. Rabbi Belsky ruled that a salmon, and it, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Rabbi ruled that genetically modified salmon is kosher since it physically resembles a salmon. So, for example, it has fins and scales. However, this leniency should not be extended to other cases. For example, if one would take a gene from a non-kosher bird and splice it with the DNA of a kosher bird, that would be a serious concern. And the reason for that, he doesn't say over here, but the reason is because birds are species that have to be specifically, you know, an, a, a, an acceptable species. The Torah names the birds. And there are some on them, but the Torah names the birds, the negative, the ones that are not kosher. Now, we don't know what this inserting this stuff of the DNA does to the kosher bird. With fish, you have to have fins and scales. If the resulting fish has fins and scales, then presumably, even if it looks a little bit like an eel and smells like an eel, and maybe uh, you know it moves as fast as an eel, but still, it's a salmon. And, and halakhically, it has fins and scales, and it has to be kosher. That's what Rabbi Belsky said. But when you get to the, the birds, it's different. And the question is going to come up then about the pig, which we'll discuss in Mitzvah next week. And until... Next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. If you'd like to, to, to speak to us about the upcoming Kashrus Magazine for the Kosher Travel Guide, the 2018 Kosher Travel Guide, it'll be available soon. You can get that from us or a subscription to the magazine or for a Kashrus question, whatever it is, you can reach us, 718-336-8544, or you can email us at Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Till next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, wishing you a wonderful week.